All right, well, we're going to just go dive right into our message. Um, if you've been listen, if you were here last week or listen, you know that we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom. Um, I want to preface this by saying this is a message about becoming discipled as um, as we grow up in the Lord. Okay, some of the things I'm going to talk about today, we're going to we're going to look at um, the life of Jesus, and some things we can apply to us and some things we can't. And so we're going to kind of talk about that, okay? Um, I got this idea from my daughter, like I always do, all right? She gives a lot of inspiration for me. She, um, like like her friend Abby, are great influences in their high school. And the thing about Emma is she'll go to... Would, don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> she will go to some of her classes and not really understand why she's the only believer in the room or why she has the only values that she does or, you know, sometimes is persecuted for what she believes, you know, or ridiculed or whatever. And me and Chris always say, you know what? High school's the meanest place in the world. It will never be that mean again, really. I mean, once you get out of high school, it seems like it can gets a little bit better. No, no? okay. <laughs> Sharon says it doesn't. But... <laughs> I'm trying to give her some hope, Sharon. Okay, well, there's hope, but, you know, it's preparing you for the next level. <laughs> okay? It's preparing you for the next level. And the thing about my daughter, which I love, but what can be really, really hard, is she's passionate for the Lord. She's not going to be quiet. She can't just go along with a crowd. She's got a call on her life to call people to the Lord, to even confront them with the truth, Okay? And so we were talking about she's taking a philosophy class, so imagine that. That's, that's a hotbed of controversy right there, right? So they were talking about, you know, the existential questions of the universe and materialism versus, you know, theism and all that kind of stuff. And she was talking to her professor, and, you know, her professor was like, yeah, well, a lot of Christians say that, you know, when she was kind of given an argument for this. And, and we were talking about this over um, pizza or something, and I said, Emma, here's the thing. Most people, and I was thinking of you and Doug, Dr. Grotheis too. You know, we, we, we know this apologist from Denver Seminary who's an incredible philosopher. But most people are not convinced by an argument. They're not convinced by, um, they've already, especially kids in high school, already cemented their, right, their, um, what they think is right or wrong. And most people don't really have an open mind intellectually to be like, well, maybe there is a God and evolution isn't right or whatever, do you know? And so the idea that you're going to argue people into a different position isn't really, it's not practical, no. right? The older we get, we realize you can't argue people off of something they already hold as a belief, right? Um, and so I think the challenge for Emma is how do you hold fast to what you know is true and how do you stand and defend the truth at the same time not expect to argue anybody to your position, to kind of get where I'm coming from. And that's been a kind of a hard a lesson for her to learn because she believes strongly in things. And she's why is she going to let that go just because you believe something different? And she is so in love with the Lord who she knows is real that how can you possibly not believe in God? That doesn't even make sense to her, do you know? And yet there are people who are like, absolutely, you're a crazy fool. And you have to somehow be okay with that. And so that kind of spurred, and I just said to her, I said, I think the way that we have to look at this is we have to look at the life of Christ. How did Jesus do it? 
How did Jesus do it? Because he absolutely came to save people from their sins, but he did it in such a way that people were drawn to him. Some people were repelled, but a lot of people were drawn to him and attracted to him. And he taught and ministered in ways that people were able to go, oh, it changed their whole mindset. Their whole paradigm shifted. Now, in the Bible, we do have Paul. He's, there's an example of him going to Athens, which is full of philosophers, people who think they know everything, and him arguing in the marketplace about different philosophical things. But I'll tell you what, he walked away and said, that didn't do me much good. I didn't win very many converts in um Athens because they're so about the intellect and they're so about the argument. And I just, I thought what would be good is as we explore the kingdom, let's talk about Jesus. How did Jesus do it? Maybe we'll do it that way. Maybe that's the way we should do it, right? Maybe if we're going to be kingdom dwellers, we're going to just look and see what Jesus did and we're going to decide what is good for us. Does that make sense? So that's my introduction. So we're going to be in Matthew today. We're going to be in Matthew 3. And I want to talk about, we kind of talked about, and this is kind of like, going to be like a straight-up Bible study tonight, you guys. Um, yeah, there you go. Nathan likes that. Amen. Amen. Fill in for Bob. I need that. Matthew 3. I want to read from the Passion Translation because um, it's one of my favorites. You like Passion Translation? I'm going to start 3, verse 13. And if you don't have the passion, look, it's all together now, the Psalms and the New Testament. Then Jesus left Galilee to come to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But when he waded into the water, John resisted him, saying, Why are you doing this? I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, and yet you come to be baptized by me? Jesus replied, It is only right to do that all, all that God requires. Then John baptized Jesus, and as Jesus rose up out of the water, the heavenly realm opened up over him, and he saw the Holy Spirit descend out of the heavens and rest upon him in the form of a dove. Then suddenly the voice of the Father shouted from the sky, saying, This is the Son I love, and my greatest delight is in him. In another version, this particular verse, you'll hear... um, In the NIV, he says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Well pleased. I think that's a great thing. The thing that I want to talk about here is about this baptism. Okay, so we're talking about us becoming kingdom dwellers and having the authority and the identity and the power and walking in signs and wonders. So let's start at the beginning and see how did Jesus come into his ministry. This, at this baptism right now, is the inauguration of his ministry. He was 30 years old when he got baptized. 30 years was the time when um, the men of the Levites were able to serve in the temple and were able to serve as priests. 30 years was that number. And so this is significant in that it designates now he's, he is entering his ministry following along with the laws and the culture of Israel. Okay, And you remember Matthew is the um, disciple who is preaching or, or writing primarily to the Jews. And so what he's doing is always showing how what's going on in Jesus's life 
parallels the Old Testament. It fulfills the, fulfills the messianic prophecies, right? So we're going to see a lot of parallels here between um, what, what happens with Jesus right now and how it parallels back to the Old Testament. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, it's really cool. This event, this baptism, this thing, baptism is so important um, that it's recorded in all four Gospels. And that's important because sometimes different Gospels record different things depending on what they want to emphasize. But this is such an important event that all four Gospels emphasize it because, again, it's the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. It's the inauguration of the kingdom, really. It's the beginning of the kingdom. The first thing I want to talk about is this. Jesus is baptized so that he can identify with humanity. Remember, Jesus represents both God and man. In this baptism, John says, why are you coming from, to be baptized? You're a sinless man. You do not need to be baptized because back then, baptism represented a repentance, okay? But Jesus said, no, I need to do this because I'm going to identify with humanity and I'm going to die and be raised back up. And so the symbolism in this baptism for Jesus is that he is symbolizing death and rebirth. Death and rebirth, okay? The second thing I want to talk about here is, um, and, and this is what most people emphasize, most of your um, commentaries emphasize this, this is the time where Jesus publicly identified him as his son. He said, this is my son. He didn't say, this is my servant. He didn't say, this is my slave, or this is my creation, or this is my ambassador, or this is my governor. He said, this is my son. That's really important. He's, God is identifying his divinity, all right? He's divine. He comes from my nature. He's my son. I've sent him, and I want you to recognize who he is. The third thing that we want to talk about, and this is what nobody I was like researching, researching, and I'm like, why does they're not more on this? He says, whom I love and am well pleased. Who I love and am well pleased. That was said in the inaugural ceremony, if you will. This is his inauguration, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago or whenever about the crown and all the cool stuff with royalty. This is when Jesus gets his robe and his crown and all that kind of stuff to start start kingdom business. But what did God say over him? This is my son that I love and with whom I'm well pleased. And the thing that I want to emphasize about that is as we walk in the kingdom and as we appropriate what Jesus has given to us, we need to understand that we're loved and God is well pleased with us. And remember this, God said this before Jesus had ever done one miracle. He had not even started his ministry. And God said, I'm well pleased with you. I'm proud of you, is what God said. And Jesus hadn't done one thing, not one thing. And it's really important that we remember that's the same way it is for us. God's proud of us and pleased with us because of nothing we've done. And that we don't have to do anything. And he loves us and he's well pleased with us. That's really, really important. If we're going to identify with Jesus, we have to identify with that almost the most. It is important to remember that we also can call God Father. If you remember um, in the um, Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, I'm going to teach you to pray, and, I'm gonna, and you're going to pray, our Father who art in heaven. That's important because he's telling his disciples, he's my Father, and he's your Father. 
you get to approach him as father, not as just king or overlord or master or anything like that. He's your father. And in this baptism, we see, and he loves you and he's well pleased with you. And it has nothing to do with what you've done or are going to do. And I think that's fantastic. Now, the next part I want to talk about isn't as Isn't it, I want to make sure you understand this. God loved Jesus, called him his son, identified who he was, said, I'm well pleased with you, and then immediately led him into the desert. He led him into the desert. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. So that's a fun thing to talk about. Let's talk about that. <laughs> right? Am I right? I'm going to read... Out of this is chapter four. <clears throat> Afterward, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. Remember that. And after fasting for 40 days, Jesus was extremely weak and famished. Then the tempter came to entice him to provide food by doing a miracle. So he said to Jesus, How can you possibly? Be the son of God and go hungry. Just order these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. He answered, the scriptures say, bread alone will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word, which constantly goes forth from God's mouth. Then the accuser transported Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem and perched him at the highest point of the temple and said to him, if you're really God's son, Jump, and the angels will catch you, for it is written in the scriptures, he will command his angels to protect you, and they will lift you up, so that you won't even bruise your foot on a rock. And again, Jesus said to him, the scriptures say, you must never put the Lord your God to a test. And the third time, the accuser lifted Jesus up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor that goes with it. All of these kingdoms I will give to you, the accuser said, if only you will kneel down before me and worship me. But Jesus said, go away, enemy, for the scriptures say, kneel before the Lord your God and worship only him. At once the accuser left him and the angels suddenly gathered around Jesus to minister to his needs. Now, the thing that I want to say right here, I want my disclaimer to go out so I don't get any nastiness about this, okay? Okay. <laughs> God led Jesus into the desert for a particular reason. If you, um, if you read there, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. Um, and in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's 159 times of the word 40, either days or nights or years or the number 40. 40 is, 40 is a particular number in the Bible. It usually designates a specific time, Noah was in the ark 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Um, you, uh, here's one. You can't have 40 lashes, only 39. Uh, isn't that funny? Um, let me see. What did you say? Um, Moses, <laughs> Moses fled to the desert for 40 years. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights. Um, the spies were in Canaan for 40 days. Israel wandered for 40 years. Before Samson's deliverance, Israel served the Philistines for 40 years. Goliath taunted Saul's army for 40 days. Elijah fled to Mount Horeb for 40 days. 
Jonah told Nineveh they had 40 days to repent. Saul, David, and Solomon reigned over Israel each for 40 years. Jesus is tempted for 40 days, and there's 40 days between the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So 40 is important, right? We got a lot of 40 days. The thing about 40 days is it usually represents a trial or a test. So here's what I want to tell you. (laughs) Jesus was led into the desert for a trial or a test. So my disclaimer is this. Every single bad thing that happens isn't necessarily from the Lord, okay? God is not a child abuser. He does not abuse people. However, however, and we got to go by the Bible, you guys, because it's in the Bible, right? In the Bible, there is a um, precedent that God tests the fidelity of his covenant partner, the faithfulness of his covenant partner. We see that with Job. Job was, was tested. Abraham was tested. Moses was tested. And it's the, it's the idea of, are you faithful to me so that I can promote you to the next place? Do you remember with Job? He lost everything, but then he had double for his trouble at the end. Do you remember that? Abraham, the father of nations, yet he was tested. But he is the foreshadow of Christ for us. Moses, the deliverer, they were all tested to be proven worthy for the next thing. All right? So what I'm going to say to you may not be easy, and I'm, I'm real, real sorry. Okay, I'll tell you that straight up. There may be trials in your life that God has allowed to happen. And they may not be fun things. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm not going to say this or that, what God has allowed for a trial or temptation. But I'm going to tell you, if he led his own son Jesus into the desert to be tested and to be proven so that he could begin his ministry, he's going to do that for us too. And that's a hard thing sometimes to get a hold of, right? I don't know what those are in your life. I, I, I know that even with this sickness, <laughs> I, this is, I call this the Carlos Juanigan um, strategy. Whenever she feels like the enemy is coming against her with spiritual warfare, she goes, oh, you're coming at me with spiritual warfare? I'm going to pray for the healing of all these people over here. So it's going to backfire on you. Like I'm going to put all my energy into praying for other people and for, for deliverance of other people so that the more you oppress me, the more I pray for other people. Kind of like, you know, screw you kind of thing, you know? Um, <laughs> right? And so whenever I would, you'll love this, Emily, whenever I would lay in my little, you know, sofa recliner bed and, and um, feel panicky or anxious, I would just begin to go after the different things that's, that, that are in my family that I want to pray for. I just begin to pray and pray and pray because I'm like, I'm going to press into this, you know. Now, did God give me the illness or the flu or whatever? I don't know. I don't believe he did. But I do believe he can use it to test me in my life to see if I'm going to press into God or if I'm going to press into despair and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And I, this is what Chris Valson says, and I just love it so much. You know how much I love him. If I can find it here. 
What helps me in the wilderness is to know that the battle is for a reason way bigger than I can see right now and a holding on to a vision that gives my pain a purpose. And I want you to know, <laughs> if Jesus was in the, not only was he in the desert for 40 days, he didn't eat for 40 days. That's a lot of pain, right? You would be weakened if you didn't eat for 40 days. Am I right? That's when the enemy came after him. You know, this is kind of interesting. The devil is translated accuser in the Aramaic and slanderer in the Greek. I thought that was interesting, slanderer. So he accuses people to the Lord, but he also slanders God and slanders people. I think that's real interesting, right? So the first temptation that the enemy says to Jesus is, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. This is a parallel to the children in the desert, the children of Israel in the desert when they didn't have any food. This is the same kind of parallel. And Jesus responds with this scripture. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here's what's going on here. In the desert, when the Israelites in the desert, they did not have food. They didn't have, to have, they didn't have anything. They had to depend day after day after day on the provision of the Lord. They grumbled, you know, and they, we don't have meat. We just had this crazy manna and we're sick of it, blah, blah, blah. But, and they were not even allowed to store it up. Like on the seventh day, they had to rest. They had to, store, they had to pick up double on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, they had to rest. If they tried to store it from day to day, it would rot. So they had every day, they had to get their provision. This is what I think is going on here. When the enemy is tempting us in our wilderness, when we're in a wilderness, one of the temptations that can come to us is, I don't have provision. I'm not, God's not providing. What do I do to supersede what God's doing in my life? Sometimes, just like with Jesus, he's teaching us, are we going to listen to the voice of the enemy or are we going to hold fast and be faithful to what God is doing? And that can come as an attack in the area of provision. When we're weakened, we don't feel like we have what we need to survive, physically survive. It can, it can be a test where the Lord is saying, what are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the enemy or are you going to listen to me? That can be what's going on with that temptation. All right, and I'm going to let you guys be discerning and figure it out for yourself. But I'm just trying to bring up, here's some things that Jesus went through. And if Jesus went through them, guess what? We can probably go through them too. Especially on our way to the ministry. On our way to becoming what God's called us to be. Because I want you to know something. When Jesus came out of the desert, he preached in power. He preached in power. What, was the, what did he do when he came out of the desert? miracles, deliverances, and he preached the kingdom. He came out on fire after the desert, but he had to go through the desert to get to that place. We may have to go through a desert to get... <laughs> Don't roll your eyes at me, Ben. <laughs> we may have to go through the desert. <laughs> I think he was one. Oh, I don't want to do that, Paula. <laughs> I don't want to fast. There's all kinds of deserts. There's all kinds of testings and trials. But like what's happening with Jesus, it may be to get us to the next place, to show ourselves faithful. Does that speak to anybody? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, Sharon. <laughs> all right, the second temptation 
If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Take some up high, throw yourself down. God's going to take care of you. This is a parallel. This is, this is a testing parallel to test and say, well, God, are you really good? Are you really going to take care of me? Because the Israelites, again, parallel to the Israelites, they didn't have water, and they grumbled against Moses, and we need to have water, and we don't have any water. And, and, and Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And, and what was it pronounced? And he called the place, I don't know, Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? So here's what I see on this. This is a, this is a um, test of the Lord's timing. The test, a test of the Lord's timing. How many of you have wanted God to move? I want him to heal me in one day, not four weeks. <laughs> right? How many of you have said, Lord, why aren't you doing this now? You see my need now. Why aren't you doing it now? <laughs> this, I believe, is a test of the Lord's timing. Are we going to supersede the timing of the Lord, or are we going to trust God with timing? That's a hard one. But again, if we're going to be mature believers it's not our timing, it's the Lord's timing. Because this is what Bob always says, and I love it so much. God is an ultimate multitasker, okay? So he might be doing something with you, but then he's doing something with you, and he's doing something with you that's all going to weave together down the road, but we don't get to see their pieces moving. We have to trust that God's got the timing going on, right? There's a really good example. I love this. You know how when you're up in the um, airplane, and they're circling around, and you're circling, and you're like, why the heck can't we land? Well, it's because the aircraft controller guy has got 10 other airplanes up there that he's trying to get down and land, right? You're not the only airplane in the sky. He's managing all these different planes, and he's got to land them at just the right time. So when you're up in the air in a holding pattern, wondering why can't I land and get to where I need to go, there's 10 other airplanes God's managing. And we need to trust that God knows how to get everybody on the ground safely and in the proper timing. Amen? How many of us are tested in timing, right? Thank you for not rolling your eyes. I appreciate that. The third temptation, all of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. <clears throat> What I get, my takeaway from this is we can sometimes, you know, God, or Jesus was divine. He was absolutely the son of God. He had been inaugurated. You are the son of God. With that comes authority and power. And he could rightfully take power and wealth and glory for himself. That was within him, Right? But what did he say? I don't know. Where is it? Let me go look. Oh, I know. He said, you shall worship, kneel before the Lord your God, and worship only him. So what I get from this, the third temptation that we get in the wilderness, is to worship something other than God. Is to worship something other than God. It could be money. It can be people or relationships. What else? What are some other? What are some other idolatry things that we? It could be uh, image, or prestige, or something like that. Work. It, can, it could be an addiction. 
And when you're in the wilderness, God wants to say, are you going to worship me? Or are you going to worship something else that you think is going to bring you wealth and fame and power or be your savior? Is it going to be God or is it going to be something else? Because when you're weak and in your wilderness, sometimes you want to meet your own needs, right? Sometimes you want to do your own thing when you're in the wilderness because you're like, man, this is a lot of pain and I'm hungry. I haven't eaten for 40 days. I'm starving and God, where are you? I will turn to something else to fill my need. And God is saying, who are you going to worship? Are you going to worship me? Are you going to worship, you're going to worship an idol? And that's what I get out of that third temptation. And I'm going to wrap it up with this, because Lee's going to bring it one of these days. Because after, after Jesus comes out of this temptation, people, he comes out with power. The, temp, the test meant something for him. And if the test means something for him, the test means something for us. When we endure the wilderness that we've maybe been led into or allowed to walk through, and we don't give up on God's provision, we don't doubt his timing, and we worship him only, we're going to come out with, with power. Amen. We're going to come out refined, and we're going to begin to walk in the signs and the wonders that God has for us. Because like that, like that picture I saw of worship, we're supposed to take the land, not just defend the land, Right? We're to take the land. We're to be in the, the t if you want to do modern warfare, the tanks and roll in and take the land from the enemy. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We may have to go through a time of testing before we're trained up and ready to do that. All right? And I'm going to let you guys figure it out for yourselves. But just think about that. Think about your provision. Think about your timing. And what do you worship? I'm going to wrap it up with, again, my favorite, Chris Fallon. It is only after we have faced the devil in the wilderness, believed God, and won our personal victory that the Lord can trust us with any kind of public promotion. So, Lord, let's just bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are trustworthy. You are the God of provision. Your timing is perfect. God, and I pray for every person here who feels like they are in a wilderness or been in a wilderness or starting a wilderness, God, that they are going to trust you, that you are bringing them through. It's a 40-day wilderness, which means it's a time of testing and there's an end to it. God, I pray that you would teach them to fight the enemy with Scripture. They would stand on the Scripture, Lord. They would trust you and be proven faithful, God, and that you would raise them up to the promotion that you have for them, for the destiny that you have for them, that we are going to be people that take the land, Lord. I just bless you, God, now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. <coughs>